If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, uh, the book of Psalms, uh, P-S-A-L-M-S. We're going to be at the very first one. Uh, if, you're, if you make your way to Psalm 2 uh, and go left, you'll, you'll arrive where you want to be. Um, dur- during our spring merge group study, uh, we, we took some time toward the end of it. We had two sessions, and the second session, uh, we spent some time uh, walking together through a study called Shaped by God uh, by, by the pastor John Piper. And, and what it was, it was a six-week adventure through uh, six different psalms. Uh, and what it does is it helps us see how powerful the book can be, uh, the book of psalms can be when it comes to helping shape the ways that we think about God, how we feel about His movement, uh, in our lives, and, and some of the, the greatest decisions we will find in all of the Bible are found in the book of Psalms, that uh, much of it is just the fleshing out of prayers in the midst of various circumstances. And uh, we, we see the psalmist at times overwhelmed uh, by God. We see them confused by God. We see uh, them upset with God. Uh, we see them trying to find... Um, trying to decide if they will survive the night. We see in the Psalms people fighting for joy, searching uh, for hope, remembering God's goodness. And, and I would wonder uh, if you were vulnerable enough with me today, if perhaps there are times in life with God that you feel a variety of emotions, uh, that there are circumstances in your life that you say, okay, I don't, I don't understand uh, what God is doing. I don't understand why He did it this way. I don't understand... Um, why he didn't do it my way. Uh, oh, and there's other times when you sit, and, and just like in a moment ago for me, um, where you know we, get, we got to sing about just the overwhelming, reckless love of God. Uh, and you say, I, I don't deserve that. And, and I think in the Psalms, uh, for me, whenever I feel there's a disconnect uh, in my heart for God, I spend an extra amount of time in the Psalms, because uh, I'm found there. Uh, I am found, my issues, my frustrations, my, my cause for disconnect gets exposed uh, in, in a good way. I know we don't like that idea of being exposed and being found out, um, but when I walk through the Psalms, I find myself in them, uh, and by being exposed, I get to identify what's really at the core of my issues, uh, and then I get to walk with God through them. And, and so, uh, needless to say, I'm, I'm a fan of the book, uh, and uh, they're an everyday part of my Bible reading. And so uh, I found myself a couple months ago in our Merge, Spring, uh, merge groups, and I'm like, okay, uh, we need to spend some time together as a whole uh, walking through just the book of Psalms, not just the group of people that, uh, was there, and so what we've done is we're going to take two or three of the psalms um, right out of the book. Uh, in fact, today much of what I'm um, sharing with you are borrowed words, uh, really just ripped off words uh, by by John Piper. Uh, and so, if you think there's any brilliance brought to the table, it is most definitely um, a book you could buy and read better than what, the way I'll communicate it to you. Uh, and then, and then we're going to take a couple of psalms uh, that are close to our hearts. And so, about the next six weeks or so. Um, we'll, we'll be walking uh, through this. And, and so uh, today, though, we, we arrive at Psalm 1. And there's a reason. Man, y'all jumped so quick. Man. That was a good move. Um, 
So, so the reason we start in Psalm 1 is because uh, it's helpful to us because it's, it's kind of a gate. Uh, it kind of opens the gate for us to walk into the entire book. Uh, it kind of sets the tone. And so uh, we're, go- we're going to walk through this together today. And what's going to be interesting is we're going to be brought to an intersection. Uh, and, and we'll call it the intersection of obedience and delight. Uh, and then through it, we're going to hopefully flesh out... Um, seeing in better ways how we walk with God, especially through um, this incredible book. So, so let's pray, and then we'll get going. Father, we come to you, and we thank you so very much for your word today. We thank you that you don't just say that you love us, but that you, in your word, show us time and time again just how beautiful your love is for us, how, how incredible it is for us. And we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning that we would be brought to Psalm 1, and you would speak to us tenderly. That you would reveal to us how we can better walk with you. And Father, for some of us, that you would break, break us free from some religious movements in our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so let's, let's talk. That was a good Amen. Good job, guys. Uh, it's kind of shocking. I was like, oh, all right. So let's, let's talk Psalms real quick, though, uh, because it can be pretty confusing because it, it takes on a different tone than most of the other books in the Bible. And so, so what I want to do uh, is talk about Psalms, and then we'll, we'll get into Psalm 1. Um, but, but let me give you three simple thoughts about the Psalms. And, and it says this, uh, that number one, uh, the Psalms give us a picture of God's love for us. As you read all 150 of the Psalms, uh, what we get to see is that God is teaching us something powerful about His care for us, about His love for us, about His desire for us to walk in the healthiest ways. And, uh, and they're intended, these Psalms are intended not to be like the JV level kind of book of the Bible, that it's intended to be the inspired instructions of the Word of God. And, uh, and so they're they're meant to be instructive about God and human nature and life. And so we get this invitation to come in and meditate on uh, these instructions for our benefit. And we're going to see that kind of playing out uh, in Psalm 1. Number two, uh, the Psalms uh, are intended to stir our hearts for God. Uh, they're intended to stir them. They, uh, they have heart in them. Uh, because in in these psalms, the desires and the emotions of the psalmist are being poured out. And then we get to, again, we get to see ourselves in them. They're written as poems. They're they're explored as songs. Uh, In fact, you'll find in a lot of them, it says this is to be played at church. Uh, and, And we know... Uh, how powerful a song can be, right? Uh, even, even if you haven't heard a song in, in a decade, uh, you can hear it today and it will take you back to a time. It'll, it'll take you back to a place. It's the reason why uh, when people get married and at their receptions we have the first dance and you don't just randomly click on Spotify and say, ah, whatever shows up, right? Because um, you might get reggae. You know, that wouldn't be, wouldn't be good, but it'd be awesome dancing music right um it's why it's why we generationally fight 
over whose music is the best, right? As if there's any question. I mean, Milli Vanilli, Ace of Base. It, there's, there's no debating that, right? Greatest groups of all time. But, but, but we know. We, we know what that, we know the power that music brings. We know the emotions that get attached to it. And the Psalms are intended to do that very same thing for us. It's intended to stir our hearts as we consider the goodness of God. Uh, the Psalms, they're, they're, they're songs intended to connect our hearts to our heads about matters that, that really matter. In fact, this is why I, I believe God gives us such an array of emotions uh, in all the Psalms. In fact, he, he, in it you'll find questions about loneliness, about love, about awe, about sorrow, about regret, about contrition, about discouragement, about joy, about delight, about fear, about gladness. All of it packed into 150 poems. Uh, in fact, John Piper says this, more explicitly than all the other books in the Bible, the Psalms are designed to awaken and shape our emotions in line with the instruction they give. What happens when you read and sing the Psalms the way they are intended to be read and sung is that your emotions and your mind are shaped by them. Okay, So, so number three, uh, the Psalms are, help us navigate life with God. Like I said, we, we get exposed, but then we don't get exposed to take us to shame. We get exposed to take us to a path of, of help. And, and so if the Bible is God-inspired, then the Psalms are to be understood in step with that same uh, inspiration. That, that these aren't merely the words of man, but they're guided by God to help you understand the various circumstances and seasons of your life. And I think when properly understood, they give us the right direction of where we take our emotions. Because uh, can we agree just for a little bit that at times our emotions will take us to places we really didn't intend for them to take us to? Uh, that, that our emotions causes us to say things that we didn't entirely intend to be said, at least out loud, right? And so what we get is we get this shaping of it. And, and so the Psalms, they're helpful because uh, they aid in doing those things, but better than that, it takes us to Christ, and it get, lets us show, uh, it lets us experience God's love through Jesus. And so, so for that reason, we can go uh, into Psalm number one, uh, where I, I love this one because we get to uh, wrestle with this morning how we best experience God's instructions in our lives. And so, uh, he starts this way in verse number one. It says, "Blessed is the man uh, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked." nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. So, so blessed is the man who walks not, or stands not, or sits in the seats of sinners. And it's a weird way of phrasing this, especially if, if you grew up in a culture um, where it, it was kind of taught to you that God cares more about your obedience and you doing all the right things in order for Him to love you more. Uh, because because this wouldn't it be easier or more efficient if the psalmist just came in and said, hey, if you want to know how to be blessed, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Right? And that's the way we tend to think about how you please God. Don't do these things and then try to do these other things. And yet he doesn't. Uh, and so it causes us to ask this question. Why, why would the psalmist begin 
this letter this way? Why would he even draw our attention to the wicked and to the sinner and to the scoffer? Uh, why, why would he even draw our attention to these dangerous places where we find influence? Uh, and, and the reason we're going to find is that uh, what he's doing is he's, he's building contrast. Uh, he wants us to... Uh, he wants to draw us not to wickedness, but, uh, I'm sorry, the reason is that the contrast he's trying to draw us towards uh, isn't wickedness versus righteousness. The contrast he's drawing us towards is, is being influenced in one place versus being influenced in another. Uh, it's about being shaped in our thinking and our feeling and asking ourselves, are we shaped in our thinking and our feeling by the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer? Or are we being shaped in our thinking and our feeling by, by God? One of those two things. And so he sets up verse 1 uh, the way he does to prepare us uh, for the contrast of verse 2. So he says it this way. He says, but his delight. Okay, so we're asking, how is a person blessed? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates, when? Day and night. Okay, so, so but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates on it day and night. He, said, he says, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it constantly. So, so here's what we know. You have attention to give, right? So, so don't give your attention to worldly matters. The, the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer so that you can delight in their ways. Don't do that. That kind of walking, that kind of standing and sitting won't carry with you the blessing of God. That's, that's the contrast that we're, we're dealing with here. And this is, this is where we sit this morning, right? You see this very clearly today. Uh, and you say, oh, yeah, well, I should, I should delight in the law of the Lord. I should look at God's Word and I should delight in that. That could have been louder. Um, your face. That was a funny face. That um, good Lord. All right. Does your mom need to take that up from you? Are you good? All right. So he says, he says you're, you're being shaped one way or the other. And today that, that can be easy when we come in and we say, oh, yeah, we should avoid doing things that are wicked and sinning and scoffing. We should just avoid it. Somebody has to look up what the word scoffing means, but you get it. It says we should, we should not do that. But tomorrow, that's a different animal, right? Tuesday, that's a different animal. Wednesday, different animal. So how do we go about walking and seeing and being shaped by God's Word each day and each night? And it's more than just reading the Bible all the time. Okay, um, Now, reading your Bible is part of it. We'll get to it. Um, but it's about being shaped uh, in that way. And so... So, so this is where I think worldliness and holiness are often confused. Uh, because uh, we treat the pursuits of, of holiness as if it's an obligation. Uh, so, so the way that works itself out is, is I got saved, and I know God doesn't want me to do certain things, and so I'm obligated to not do those things anymore. Right? I'm obligated to now do these, these other things. But we never think of worldliness like that, do we? We don't. We don't say, well, I'm worldly, so I guess I'm obligated to do these dangerous things or these sinful things or these 
wicked things. We don't, we don't think of that. And this is where we get confused. Because all of a sudden, where we had zero um, restraints, or at least what we thought was zero restraints, forgetting the fact that, that sin was leading you to death, right? That sin was not paying itself out the way you expected it to, because it was destroying you. But we don't think of worldliness or sinfulness as um, restricting, even though it very much is. But we come on this side and we say, okay, I want to walk in holiness, and then we want to put all these restraints on us, and then we get frustrated because we start to think of God like we would our parents when we were teenagers, saying they just don't want me to have fun at all. And that wasn't the case. And I, I, I'm learning this as I grow into parenthood, that a lot of the restrictions I put on my kids isn't because I don't want them to have fun. I want them to have a ton of fun. But I want them to be safe. And I want them to walk in healthy ways. And so I think this is, this is an issue that we have because we treat the pursuit of holiness as this obligation that, well, God saved me, then I guess I have to do things His way. And at times we will do that reluctantly. And the reason is, we're going to find here in a moment, there's a word that we just, that we just read here um, that, that makes it important. So let's put it another way. Um, no, nobody walks the way of the wicked, again, out of obligation. Uh, nobody stands uh, with sinners out of obligation. Nobody sits in the seat of the scoffer uh, out of an obligation. And if we're honest with ourselves, we walk and we stand and we sit there because we want to. We want to. The, the reason we, we want to is because we've, we've been watching them so intently and we see what they do and it becomes attractive. And, and so we, we've meditated on them. We, we don't call it meditating on them, but, but we look across at what we believe is greener grass and we say, eh, I kind of want to do that. And, and now what happens is you begin to delight in those things. And this, that's how worldliness happens. That's how it happens. That you look at the stuff the world produces and you look at it and you look at it and you think about it so much that you desire, develop a taste for it. And before long, you've made a decision to walk and to stand and to sit, longing for results you believe will make you uh, more whole. And this is why, uh, if, if we pay careful attention, we can see the contrast of verse 2. It's referring not to obligation and obedience, but to delight and meditation. Where do we find our delight? And for some of us, that question alone, we could just pack it up and go home, right? Let me just chew on that. Where do I find my delight? Piper says the, the only hope against uh, the pleasures of this world is the pleasures of the Word. Uh, and just like the pleasures of the world are awakened by looking at them long enough, so the pleasures of the Word are awakened in the regenerate soul by looking at them long enough, as the psalmist would say, day and night. Day and night. Now this isn't about... Waking up tomorrow morning and saying, oh, well, I need to read my Bible more. Um, so I'm going to get, say I haven't read in like 10 years, so I'm going to read 75 chapters tomorrow to catch up. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. What it does, what he's saying is that you will look at the Word of God, that you would develop a trust that God is teaching you the best way to live, that He's teaching you the healthiest way to live, 
that in the long run he's teaching you um, the most fun, most adventurous way to live. And then you come to this conclusion that I don't have to keep my eyes on two different things. Uh, because I think both, both worldliness and holiness, okay? This is the honest truth about it. I don't think pastors want to say this, but both worldliness and holiness will bring you to life. They will. Or else why would we pursue the other? Both of them bring to life. Now, one is fleeting, the other is sustaining. Uh, and and so, so if you're pursuing God out of obligation, you're going to struggle to delight in Him because you will always have one eye fixed on Him and one eye wondering for your next fix. That's the way that works. And right there, some of us get exposed. And this is a, this is a safe place. Because I'm only bringing my dysfunction to the table too. That if we pursue God out of obligation, we will always have one eye on Him because we know He tells us to look to Him and then we'll have our eye wandering elsewhere. And the problem is, neither one of those things will bring you the satisfaction you're looking for. There will always be an inner turmoil, uh, an inner battle being waged. And so, and so it takes both eyes on Him to meditate in a way that helps grow us healthy. And this is why verse number 3 is so very helpful. He says, He is like, okay, so we're talking about what? We're talking about the blessed man, right? Uh, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in all that he does, he prospers. So he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Planted where? By streams of water. Yeah, that's almost a trick question, right? Um, that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all he does, he prospers. Now that's a... That's a tricky word in our society because we confuse prosperity with money. And that's not the case. That's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about a person who is yielding fruit that is being a benefit to others that can live in peace because they've experienced the blessing of God. And again, if, if we're looking for efficiency, the, the psalm would be much shorter uh, that, that the psalm would, could be just three verses, right? It could start off with, hey, you want to be blessed? And you're like, oh, yeah, all right, give me my list. Well, then don't be wicked, don't stand the way of sinners, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Instead, meditate on the law of God day and night. Um, and when you do that, you won't want to act sinful, be wicked, or scoff at people. Yeah, and then we could just say, oh, there we go. I got my assignment. But that's not... The rules isn't the importance here. The list isn't the importance. It's about the delight. And, and so, so again, this, is, this isn't about obligation to avoid sin. Rather, we're talking about what happens in your life when you delight in God. When I ask you that question, what do you delight in? The Psalms dealing with how do you delight yourself in the Lord? How do you delight in what God has done? And this is why the Psalm... Uh, takes a, a step deeper in help us, helping us understand uh, the life of the godly is like a tree that produces something helpful for all. Uh, not just for yourself, but for others. In fact, uh, verse 3, he is a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. It does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Uh, and what we get is we get a picture of, of a Christian life. It's a beautiful word picture. It says that, that the Christian life is um, a tree 
and it's right by these streams of water, and this is the life of God flowing through the Word of God. This is God filling you up. And, and you are planted there by God's sovereign grace. Your roots reach the water, uh, and your leaves become green. And so, so the growth, though, where does the growth come? It comes from the stream, right? It comes from the ground. You're rooted in Christ. So your, your nutrition comes from the stream, not the rain. Okay? Not the rain. Now, sometimes it rains on you, and there's great benefit for that, and it can help you. But in the middle of a drought, a tree is devoured because it doesn't have, if it doesn't have water. Right? I'm good at killing things like plants and stuff around my house. Uh, and I'm learning that if you don't give like trees water, they will die. Uh, it's taken me a long time. I don't think it's going to work out. I think they're all, I'm just going to mow over everything. Um, but what we get here is a, pic, a word picture that the one who stands is a tree planted by the stream. So the water comes underneath through the roots, not the top. And now I think, uh, I think this is a side note for why believers uh, see so little fruit in their lives. Uh, I think uh, there's a connection where, um, of asking ourselves where are we getting our water from uh, because if, if your nutrition is limited to the hour and 15 minutes you spent here on Sunday... Um, by the end of the week, you're going to be thirsty. You're going to need more nutrition than that. Um, what that is, that's just rain coming. It's, uh, in fact, some of us, we say, well, I do, I do all of my praying um, right before I go into work, um, you know. Uh, and so from that parking lot to the office, you know, you're like, oh, that's when I spend my time with God. Uh, and you know what that is? That's like that rain we got here in Azle a couple days ago that was like 45 seconds worth of water, Right? Like you had to jump in the way to get wet. Uh, and for some of us, that's, that's all the water we're getting. And then we're left wondering, why isn't my life producing more fruit? Why don't I have more delight uh, in God? And it's because you are very much malnourished. That you need to be planted. Blessed is the one who is planted by the streams. Blessed is the one who is planted other streams of water. And so we have to decide, okay, where, where is this coming in our lives? Because if you're rooted and you're soaking in the Word and you're bearing the fruit of the Word, you'll find more than enough strength regardless of the forecast. Okay, This is what the Psalms prove to us. Regardless of the forecast of your life, if you are planted and rooted and you are close to the water, you'll find strength. You'll find that the winds can't knock you down. You'll find that in that season, you will be able to produce fruit. You'll find that your leaves don't wither. Right? This is just what we get to see. But the key here is, is delight. And I think in part, this is where the last part of the psalm is leading us in verses 4 through 6. It says this, The wicked are not so. <laughs> right? So, so blessed is the one who is planted and rooted. Right? But the wicked aren't so. Um, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. And you're like, that's a really bizarre way of ending a psalm, right? With this great warning, again, we're contrasting. We're seeing a way of health, and we're seeing a way that eventually 
ends in and perish. And I think the battle to avoid uh, the counsel of the wicked and the, the, the way of the sinner and the seat of the scoffer, the, the battle to be righteous and holy and humble is a fight for delight. It's a fight won by delight. And that delight is nourished through meditating on what God has said to you. Specifically when He says it through His Word. Because He speaks to us in His Word so that He can move us in His direction for His glory. And so, so what I delight in is, is where my heart longs to be. Right? That doesn't sound like that deep of a thought, right? But it's true. What, what I delight in is where my heart longs to be. And if my delight is elsewhere, I will want to be elsewhere. Uh, and so, so, so now what we need to pay careful attention to is where our delight leads us and where our appetites drive us. Because following God out of reluctant obedience because He saved you in Jesus is not the same as pursuing the heart of God because you are so thankful He cares for you so sacrificially. It's not the same. That, that, so, so let's start wrapping this up. I think, I think a good question uh, for us to ask as, as we're wrapping this up is, is simply this. Where does someone, how does someone lead me to Jesus? How does He move me from one place to the other? Because we've talked about some things that it would be easy to say, okay, well, I need to stop doing certain things in my life, right? Because God told me not to. But that doesn't lead me to delight. And so how does someone lead us toward Jesus? And I think there's a word in, in verse 6 uh, that helps us understand this. Is it's the word righteous. Uh, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, So, so how does this help us understand how, who we are in God, who we are because of, of Jesus? And so, uh, so what is said here is that only the righteous will survive. The judgment. And if you believe, like, oh, is this one of those churches that believe there's going to be a judgment? Yeah, we do. We do. Not because we've made it up, because I would think there's, if you let me choose, it's going to be a lot easier for everybody. Um, but I'm not a good God. I'm just letting you know. I'm barely a good dad and a good husband. All right? And so God says there will be a day when everything is brought to judgment. Okay? And so, so our question is, um, if who who is righteous and who's not, right? In fact, some of the other Psalms, Psalm fourteen three says they have all turned aside together; they have become corrupt, and there is none who does good, not even one. Uh, Psalm one uh, thirty verses three and four: If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And the answer to that is none. But with you there is forgiveness that you uh, may be feared. Uh, Psalm uh, thirty two verse two. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Okay, so, so, so the righteous are somehow the sinful people who have somehow been counted righteous when they can't be righteous on their own. And this is why it draws us to Jesus. Because, because how can a holy and a righteous God not mark iniquity? How, how can a holy and a righteous God not, not count sin? How can uh, He not require perfect righteousness for His perfect heaven? How can they do that? And the answer is that God does mark that. 
God marks our iniquity. He marks our sin. He doesn't just say, hey, let's just sweep that all under the rug. There's a great price that was paid. That was Christ. And so we get drawn to this. And we get to walk. God didn't count our sins against us. He, he punished it in Christ. That, that He did require righteousness. And He performs that in Christ. That the goal of the law, the goal of the Psalms, uh, is Christ for righteousness for all who believe. And so I think the gospel truth is that, that part of the living water that flows into the roots of our lives is Jesus. That it's Him. And so we come back to that word, the light. We come back to it and we ask ourselves, okay, so, so what do I do about my delights? Where do I take them? What delight is healthy? What delight isn't? And the question is, does it make much of Christ? Right? And now our struggle, again, if you grew up believing that in order to please God, it was all about making sure you don't do these things that turns out your parents didn't want you doing anyways. And walking in and understanding that you're not obligated to love God. You're not. But, but if, you, if, you, if you know Jesus and you feel obligated to love God, you, you, don't, you don't know Jesus. You don't understand what motivated Him to sacrifice for you. You don't understand the love that God has for you in sending Jesus. And out of that, there's zero obligation. That the one who delights in the law of the Lord, okay? And again, there's things in the Bible that you're like, that's hard, I don't want to do that. But the more you look at God and the more you trust in God and the more you understand that He is so much for you, not against you, our appetites begin to change. Our desires begin to change. Where we take our lives begin to change. Because here's the thing, you can't follow God in newness while walking in your old ways. That's the way it works. But the reason you change is an obligation, it's delight. Or at least that's what Psalm 1 tells us. I love you guys. This week we want to love God by. Please stand with me. As you pray this week, I, want, I meant to bring this to mind. Um, there's a group of us uh, who are leaving today. We'll be coming back on Friday. Uh, there's how many... Um, it's me and a bunch of ladies. That's what it's turned out. So, yeah, about five, six of us. Um, we're, we're heading out this afternoon to go to Camp Akiva. Uh, it turns out it's where we take our teens. But uh, this week is special. It's one of my favorite weeks out of the whole year uh, because we get to go uh, serve as counselors and relief uh, teen helpers uh, in a, a camp designed to love on kids in the foster care system. Uh, it has been a big part of, of our adventure of the God size in our family. And, uh, and so as you think about the people of Merge this week, lift those guys up, uh, mainly the ladies. I don't need it as much, you know. Um, I just get to go play. That's, that's my favorite part. Like, hey, what do you want to do? All right, let's see if we can not get in trouble doing that. And so, um, 
but it very much is. It's a lo- we we consider a local mission, uh, and so if you if you can remember that, we we would love some prayer. Um, today, if you need prayer, we want to pray with you. Uh, Mark and uh, we'll be in the back. He, he'd love to pray with you. If you need not to meet Jesus for the first time, we want to do that with you. Uh, we want to adventure with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us so deeply. We are moved today not out of an obligation because you saved us. We're, we're moved out of a delight that you care about us. And I pray that we would understand that the more we look at Your Word, the more we listen to Your Word, the more Your Spirit speaks to us, uh, the more we can change our appetites. And so, Father, I pray You would pin us by asking us to answer this simple question of where we find our delight. And I pray You would just cover us time and time and time again with Your love. We thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.